tell the audience a little bit about what you do. Well, I have been teaching sales now full-time since 1999, so I'm in my, my 25th year. Wow. And a typical day for me is um, doing several coaching calls and a Zoom or two, sometimes a speech, and it's focused on helping people increase their sales results. That's awesome. So, um, you know, whenever I think of sales, and I think a lot of people could agree, is uh, they think about that iconic scene from uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, you know, <laughs> where Leonardo DiCaprio is like, hey, sell me this pen. And so um, have you seen that movie? I have, yes. Okay, cool. So like if you were in that guy's shoes, right, the guy, um, you know, being told to sell the pen, like how would you personally sell it? You know, that is a great question. I've, I've never really thought about it. But what, what I will say, as far as adding value to our, our listeners, is that human beings do things for self-serving reasons. And at the end of the day, what people buy are benefits. And mm -hmm. so one of the things that I teach is prior to delivering your presentation, to identify what are those key benefits and to deliver a benefit-driven presentation. There, there's an emphasis on the close. People always want to, Eric, mm -hmm. how do I close more effectively? Mm -hmm. And it's not really about closing more effectively. It's about bringing the benefits to life in the body of the presentation and getting the prospect to want what you're offering before you get to the close. The close is the natural conclusion to a well-delivered presentation. So mm -hmm. whether it's selling a pen or real estate or, you know, I sell coaching services, it really comes down to benefits and how is the other person that you're selling to, how are they going to benefit from your product or service? Hmm. Yeah, that's a, um, so I was in college, I was uh, actually running a sales team. You know, I started off as a sales person selling paint jobs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I um, would, you know, go door to door and generate leads. And then I would go and call them, set up an estimate. I would go uh, inside the home and do a presentation for Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner and then you know, hire a team of painters, sell them into why they should work for this college student, you know, <laughs> you know, and so um, one of the things I saw was, um, and I learned is that, you know, oftentimes people try to sell features, you know, and like, uh, like what the product or service does, instead, they should be focusing on the benefits and how the other person can benefit. So I can totally agree with, with you there. Yeah, and selling a paint job, it's the, the benefit of having a, a more beautiful room, or more beautiful exterior. And then if you were mm -hmm. then getting painters to do the work, it's selling them on the compensation they're going to receive in exchange mm -hmm. for the work that they're going to do. And uh, so everything you just described is very much looking at it through the lens of the person that you're influencing, mm -hmm. which is counterintuitive in the sense that our favorite thing to talk about tends to be ourselves mm -hmm. and influence is all about the other person. Right. And so it's about entering their world and viewing their experience from their perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely relate to that. And um, I remember when I was like you know, doing the sales and I started teaching other people and like growing the team, I noticed a lot of people were kind of like resistant to, um, you know, sales and learning sales. I'm, I, uh, I think I heard a talk of yours where you kind of talked about the same thing, you know, people resist sales. So why is that? You know, why are people just naturally resisting sales, you know, it, sales kind of gets a bad rap. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. And it it is my experience that there's a stigma to sales in our culture. And mm -hmm. so people have been taught uh, 
to resist sales. Right. And if you really step back and just think about it logically, mm -hmm. right? Um, selling is going to be true for just about any successful business. They're going to be effective at sales. And so, you know, why is there this stigma to sales? And, you know, I, I don't really know the answer to that. But what I do enjoy doing is helping people create a different idea about sales. And so mm -hmm. if I look at sales as arm twisting, high pressure, manipulation, used car sales, mm -hmm. those are simply ideas. Right. And what I teach is instead of looking at sales like that, look at sales as selling equals service. And for mm. a lot of people, they're like, selling equals service? Like, what? Like, I've never heard anybody talk about sales like that. So mm. my life is all about serving the person that's in front of me. Mm. So mm. right now, you're in front of me on this Zoom interview, and I'm here to serve you. And in turn, I'm here to serve your audience. Mm. And then when our call's done, the interview's done, then I'll go on and I'll serve the next person. And it might be my kids. Mm. Or it might be serving my wife, or it might be serving my my pet right now had surgery yesterday. So she's got to get special drugs that she's taking and kind of be babied as to help her recover. And so I'll be serving my dog. And when I put on my sales hat, I'm still serving. I'm serving mm. by explaining the benefits of my product or service so the other person can make an informed buying decision. So I just live my life. So I serve the person that's in front of me in addition to what I'm selling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great uh, perspective change there. And I think you're totally right. Uh, once it comes to why is society so resistant to sales is I think whenever people think of sales, they think about a maybe a bad experience they had, where the salesman was pushy, you know, made them feel a little uncomfortable. You know, it might have been at the car dealership, you know, <laughs> where like um, the car salesmen are highly incentivized to get the sale on the spot, you know, and they know that once that person leaves, they're probably not going to come back. So there's, and then they're also on commission, you know, so there's, and they need to feed their family. So maybe, maybe there's um, some, you know, that sort of element, you know, and why people feel a little resistant. Well, there's also the media, you know, mm -hmm. how does the media portray salespeople? You mentioned the Wolf of Wall Street. Well, mm -hmm. that gentleman <laughs> was a crook. Right. Right. So it's like, here, here's the salesperson in the media. He's a crook. Mm -hmm. and, and you look at how um, salespeople are portrayed in movies or even in cartoons. Mm -hmm. I remember watching, um, I forget the name of it, but my, my kids are older now. But when they were younger, they there was this, this cartoon and it was um, a bunch of tools and they were characters. Mm -hmm. And so there was a tool character in the cartoon who was this dishonest salesperson. <laughs> It's like you're programming mm -hmm. my five-year-old kid <laughs> that selling is dishonest. Right. And that's that's just the way that society media portrays uh salespeople. And so it it creates a cultural hypnosis. Hypnosis mm -hmm. is the non-critical acceptance of an idea. So mm -hmm. people non-critically accept sales as arm twisting, high pressure, manipulation, then they need sales skills in their job. And no one ever has explained to them, not in every case, but in many cases, that selling can be service. Right. And so for some people, that simple idea is a breakthrough idea. And there's so many ideas like that in sales where you can have a shift in your thinking. For example, 
um, you prospected me to be a guest on your podcast. Mm -hmm. And so it you had to have a certain way of thinking mm. about that because if you were afraid of rejection, mm -hmm. you probably wouldn't have prospected me. And if my memory is right, you reached out a second time Mm -hmm. And I just hadn't responded to the first message. It wasn't like I was avoiding you, mm -hmm. um, but you have to have <laughs> a lot of confidence mm -hmm. to reach out more than once. And that's an idea that you have about prospecting. They're like, Hey, I have something of value that Eric's going to be interested in or whatever your thought process was. And so mm -hmm. a lot of people focus on the fear of the rejection mm -hmm. And that's the idea that they focus on, which causes them to not prospect. So right. um, you demonstrated something very powerful as far as your future. Your future is unlimited because you're willing to reach out mm -hmm. and go for what you want in life. And I, I live my life in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so powerful. You know, like sometimes people just get busy, you know, they just miss it. And so I think sometimes people kind of get in their own heads and they think, oh, is it, is it me that they don't want right. to be, you know, I could have been like that, like, hey, is it me? And that would have, you know, made me afraid if I thought that way to reach out a That's second right. time. And so, yeah, I think oftentimes we kind of like get our own heads and, um, That's and, right. you know, and feel unconfident in ourselves, you know? That's it. Mm -hmm. And you make a great point. You know, we're not when we're prospecting in in almost every case, we're, we're not at the top of the prospects priority list, mm -hmm. right. right? I'm reaching out to a company to be a guest speaker at their sales meeting, right? And as valuable as that is, and as much as I believe in the value I'm creating for that company, probably not at the top of the sales manager priority list for the day. And so when he or she doesn't respond to me, a lot of times it doesn't mean anything negative or they're not interested they're just busy doing life and mm -hmm. so um i had that same approach and i reached out to somebody and got an appointment recently on the 11th time i reached out wow so the first 10 didn't work <laughs> and you know i have a mindset that um it doesn't matter how many times I reach out. So I don't get discouraged mm -hmm. after like four and go, mm -hmm. Oh, what's wrong with me? Or they're not interested. I just, I just keep prospecting. Right. I, if I feel that the opportunity is a good opportunity, mm -hmm. I will be relentless and I won't stop. So my mindset is I will continue to follow up until I get a yes or a no, mm -hmm. not for every opportunity, but if, if the opportunity is, is a significant one, right. Uh, most people don't have that mindset, but it's a very mm -hmm. profitable mindset. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So how can people get over that? You know, like what adjustments, mental adjustments do they need to make? Like, have you found useful, you know, whenever you're teaching sales to people like, you know, I'm sure you've tried different things. Hey, let's say it this way. And then, you know, that, uh, that doesn't really work shifting your mindset. Let's try it this way. Like well, what, what you, have you found? To I'll work give for? you the breakthrough idea. And I got it from a coaching session. I hired mm -hmm. a coach for 10 hours of his time. Mm -hmm. It was $45,000. Wow. That's it. Huh? <laughs> okay. That's a lot. So what he taught me is the answer to your question or one of them anyway, which is if you reverse engineer results, mm -hmm. you've got results. And then what's upstream from results is action. And what's upstream from action is thought or language. And what's upstream from thought or language is being as in state of being. Hmm. 
So mm -hmm. if I'm being fearful, mm -hmm. if I'm being inconsistent, if I'm being um, lack of action, and then if that's my upstream, and then what's downstream from that is my thoughts, which are, um, I don't know what to say. I don't have enough leads. They probably won't be interested. Um, something's wrong with me. So if my being is inconsistent and my thought is laced with fear and doubt, mm -hmm. that's going to create a certain action. So what, what's the solution? The solution is to change my being and change my thinking. Mm -hmm. So being like, when you reached out to me the second time, who are you being at that point? What was your state of being when you reached out to me the second time? I was being, mm, you know, maybe Eric is, I, I guess that's more of a thought, but being more uh, confident in what I have, you know, like yeah, I know that Eric would benefit from this. You were mm -hmm. being, I believe in my product and service. Mm -hmm. You were being uh, commitment. You were right. being action. Mm -hmm. You were being, um, this is going to create value. Mm -hmm. And then from there, that created a set, a set of thoughts, right? You know, this is going to be valuable for Eric, even though he hasn't responded yet. I know he's going to want to say yes, or whatever mm -hmm. your thought was. Right. So, you know, I'll talk to somebody and, the, and their, their thought in a coaching session, they'll say, I, I hate doing prospecting calls. Mm -hmm. Well, that thought is going to haunt them. Because mm -hmm. if it's like this, if, if I'm single and I, I want to, like when I, I'm married right now and I was married before I got divorced and then I got remarried. If, mm. if in between my wives, if I was like, all the good women are taken mm. or I'm a single dad, who's going to want me? Mm -hmm. But that wasn't my thought. My thought was I'm going to have my happily ever after. And I nice. only need one. Mm -hmm. I don't need five. Yeah. I need one. There's one out there mm -hmm. of the billions of women on the planet. There's one out there. So that thought creates a certain action where somebody else thinks, well, I don't know what to say. I don't have enough leads. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to get rejected. I don't like calls. Well, as long as somebody says it's, it's a declaration, I don't like calls. That's a declaration. As long as they declare that, that is going to cost them so much action. Mm -hmm. And so the reality is this. A thought is just an idea. Mm -hmm. Ideas can be changed. And you're in control of the ideas in your mind as I am. Right. So I had this situation one time where I was working with the $45,000 coach and I had this beef with my dad. Mm. And, and so from that, I was, my dad needs to apologize to me. My dad needs to accept responsibility. That was my idea. Mm. So my idea was he needs to accept responsibility. And in my view, he wasn't. So we were stuck, or at least mm. I was stuck. So I'm saying this to the coach. And he goes, you have an idea that your dad needs to apologize. And he goes, your dad doesn't need to apologize. And I go, he doesn't? He goes, no, that's just an idea that you have. And mm -hmm. your dad doesn't have to be accountable either. I'm like, he doesn't? He goes, no. I said, so what should I do? He goes, just be loving towards your dad. Mm. So I, I reached out to my dad over text. I'm like, hey, do you want to go to Starbucks? And he, he accepted. And when we went to Starbucks, I was, I took an interest in him and what he was up to in his life. And I was just loving towards him. And I let go of him needing to be responsible and needing to accept responsibility and needing to apologize. And it transformed the communication. Mm. So I had an idea. If my idea stayed, my dad needs to accept responsibility. And in my 
view of the world, he wasn't. So basically, you know, he's older than me. He probably passes away before I, you know, because he's older. I mean, mm -hmm. I could die first. But I, basically, that story would go to one of our deaths. Mm -hmm. But I shifted the idea. Right. And people get in a thought in their head that they think it's a, they think it's the truth. The truth mm -hmm. is I'm not good on the phone. That's not the truth. Mm -hmm. That's an idea. It's like a piece of clothing. I could change my shirt. You can change your thinking. Well, mm -hmm. it took me years to figure this out. Right. And now I can like, I'll just give you one other example. Um, I used to not be an investor. Mm. So I'd make money and I wouldn't invest. And if I ever did invest, then eventually I'd sell the asset and spend the money. So I was, my net worth was just flat. Nothing was going, nothing up. Right. Mm -hmm. So I thought if I keep this thought, I'm not an investor. What's my likely predictable financial future? And I'm like, I'm going to be broke when I get old. Mm -hmm. Right. So I changed the idea. I said, instead of I'm not an investor, I just crossed out the word not. I am an mm -hmm. investor. So now I invest every month. And right. now my net worth's going like this every month. Mm -hmm. So now when I get to retirement, I'll be a multimillionaire just by removing the word not. Right. Mm -hmm. So we create our reality with our language. And so if you just listen to somebody if they saying, you know, my, my wife and I are always arguing, mm -hmm. that's how they're creating their reality. My wife and I, we rarely argue. Right. If we did argue, there'd be like a red flag, like danger, danger, like make a shift, Eric. Mm -hmm. you know? like, but some people are very comfortable living in the idea that my wife and I always argue. And so it's amazing how our thinking is creating our reality. Right. Absolutely. So you know, you're, you talk about upstream. So being becomes before thinking, should people change the thinking or should people change the being first? Like which one it's, comes It's first? really, it's both. So here's mm -hmm. what it is. If my thinking and my being is creating my results, mm -hmm. then I can observe my thoughts right. and I can go, what is the thinking that's creating my results of not going to the gym? Like that's a common thing people don't do, right? Like mm -hmm. I need to go to the gym more. It's like, okay. Right. So you want to go to the gym more? Yes, but you're not going. Right. Okay. So what's the thinking that's creating that? And they might say, well, I'm too busy. Okay. Mm. Or the thinking is, I know I need to go, but I never go. Or the thinking is um, getting in shape doesn't matter. Right. Mm. So observing what's creating a result you don't want is not really that valuable unless you follow it up with, what does my thinking need to be in order to create what I want? Mm -hmm. So what does my thinking need to be about the gym in order to create what I want? My thinking needs to be, I consistently go to the gym. Mm -hmm. I say what um, I say, what I'm going to do. And I follow through and do what I say. You know, I have, I schedule gym time in, I prioritize my health. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the being what's, so what's my being that's creating me not going to the gym. I'm being inconsistent. I'm being unmotivated. What does my being need to be in order to get the fitness results that I want? I need to be motivated. I need to be consistent. I need to be massive action. I need to be follow through and do what I say. I need to be my commitment. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating is it's a choice. Mm. It's a choice. I'm a former cook at McDonald's college dropout. I went to community college in Rockland where I live now. You're supposed to go for two years. I went for five. I never graduated. So I'm a college dropout, former cook at McDonald's, bottom producing salesperson, and I'm out doing some pretty amazing things in the world. 
And it's like, well, how could I do that? If my background, my resume at that, in my early twenties was, was a terrible resume. It was weak. Mm -hmm. I had nothing going for me. So it's like, how could I go from that to what I'm doing today? And it has to do with changing my thinking, changing what I'm speaking and, and realizing a big part of it was accepting my greatness mm. and acknowledging it. And in our culture, it's kind of like it's frowned upon mm -hmm. to be like, hey, I'm great. <laughs> you know? right. But what if you are great? But what if everybody's great? What if everyone mm -hmm. has unique gifts and talents? See, I used to walk around the world as I'm average and ordinary. So I created my life as average and ordinary, which got me to go to community college and got me to work at McDonald's and got me to be a bottom producing salesperson. And then one day, this is mostly through mentoring and coaching where I received it, I realized I'm extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Not as a, a statement of ego, mm -hmm. but a statement of fact, like Steph Curry is the best three-point basketball shooter ever. That's not ego. If, if Steph goes, I'm the greatest shooter ever, it's not ego, it's fact. Mm -hmm. He put the work in. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are, in my experience, because I've done thousands of coaching calls, literally thousands of coaching calls, so I've gotten ahead of thousands of people, and they are operating from not a position of owning their greatness. Mm -hmm. They're operating from how I used to operate from, which was I'm average and ordinary. So I created my life as average and ordinary, and it doesn't have to be that way. It's it's having accurate thinking about your greatness. Mm -hmm. Accurate thinking is a distinction from uh, Napoleon Hill. It's right. one of his success principles from Think and Grow Rich. So it's pretty fascinating when you really dive in and explore the mind and realize what we're capable of. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, we are, I feel like a lot of us um, and maybe society in general, like we, we kind of feel, and maybe it's the school system, you know, maybe the school system is like, hey, you'll be like everybody else, get a job like everybody else. And like, there's that programming there. And some people aren't even conscious of their thoughts. You know, it's kind of like, it's like a replay in their minds over and over and over. And they're not even aware of their thoughts. You know, I think that's just, most people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the way it is, is because a man can only teach you what he knows. Mm -hmm. Right. So my dad can only teach me what he knows. Now, my right. father is the Michael Jordan a pharmacy. Mm. Okay. My dad is, he's, he taught at the university. He was the president of the board. He would be an expert witness in court cases. He, he mentored other pharmacists, but I never observed my dad acknowledging that he was the Michael Jordan of pharmacy. Mm. In other words, it's like, yeah, it's no big deal. Whatever. I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't mm -hmm. think my dad ever saw himself as extraordinary, but I see him as that. Well, if my dad never saw himself as that, what's he going to teach me as his son? Mm -hmm. See, he's not going to teach me greatness if he doesn't right. see himself as that. Mm -hmm. So most of the parents walking around the earth are not seeing themselves as great. So they're not going to be putting that in their kids. It's like, how did I start learning this? I got around people like Les Brown, mm -hmm. Tony Robbins, Dr. Moyne, one of my mentors, Jay Abraham, some of these names are known, some of them listeners may not know, but these are extraordinary human beings. Steve Hardison, the gentleman that I paid the 45 grand to, to coach me, they saw the greatness in me, mm. so I could see it. But if they hadn't seen it, I'd still be walking around planet Earth thinking I'm average and ordinary. Right. Hmm. 
Now, here's a thought, follow-up thought to that. Do you think everybody can be great? Because if everybody's great, technically, greatness is diluted, right? Like, it's now, well, that's like the new it's average. Not like, what are your thoughts it's, on that? It's not, out of the 8 billion people on the planet, you know, how many of them are walking around extremely confident? Right. Not very many. So mm. I, I think the world will <laughs> blow itself up <laughs> if we get to that point. But the, the, the reality is we all have natural gifts and talents and, mm -hmm. and the greatness is in just regular things. For example, mm -hmm. when you reached out to me twice to book today's podcast, did you view reaching out to me the second time, first and the second time as extraordinary or did you view it as, nah, it's no big deal or some other way? How did you view your own actions of reaching out to me? Mm -hmm. I just saw it as... I got a job to do. I'm going to send this email, you know, like I want him on here. I find Eric interesting. And if he says no, then all good. There's plenty of other people I can talk to, you know, that okay. are also great. So here's the reality from my view. Mm -hmm. What you did in reaching out to me, especially since you did it a second time, is extraordinary. Mm. It's actually very rare. Mm. It's very rare and you have a very unique gifting in your willingness to reach out for what you want, knowing that a no or being ignored is probably a very realistic scenario. Mm -hmm. Most people will not do that. Right. So that's a simple thing that is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a homeless man. He's no longer in my community, but I, I noticed him one day. So I bank mm -hmm. at Wells Fargo, the banks near board, the gym that I work out. So I'm in this parking lot a lot. Mm -hmm. And I see this car. I live in Rockland, California. We don't really have much homeless here. Mm -hmm. and So it really stood out. This car, it just didn't belong in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. And I kept seeing the car. Right. So one day I walked up to him. I said, hi, my name's Eric. He goes, my name's Darren. And I took him under my wing and I did a bunch of things for him. And right now I just got in the mail this check right here. So I reached out to this person that I reached out to before that will donate money to causes. Okay. Mm. So I reached out to this guy and he sent me a check. I don't know if you can see this, but it's for a thousand dollars. Oh, wow. Okay. And this is in my name. This mm. is for my homeless guy. Right. So although this money will go in my bank account, it will then go to him. I'm mm. raising $3,000 for this homeless guy because when I met him, he was in a car mm. and his car got repossessed. Long story. Um, one of the many things I did for Darren, I walked him into the bank and helped him set up a bank account because mm. he was afraid to go in there as a homeless person. It's kind of scary to walk into uh. a bank and open a bank account. Mm. Okay. So now I reached out to him recently and he's like, yeah, I don't have my car anymore. So I'm raising $3,000 for him to go get him a car. So that will be his new home, which it mm. seems like, well, that sucks. He's living in this car. What's well, better than him living outdoors. Right, exactly. But here's the thing. Who walks up to a homeless guy and introduces themselves, walks him into the bank, raises money for them. To, basically, I've identified that part of my purpose in life is to take this homeless man under my wing. Mm. okay now that's extraordinary mm. and it's not me pat myself on the back it's what's so mm. 
So as people go out and do things like that, like here's a real simple one that a lot of people do. They will take care of their parents as their parents get older, mm-hmm. right? And they will caregive for their parents. And I don't know if I'm being honest, if I would caregive for my parents. Mm. I have four brothers and sisters. I would probably be like, yo, it's on you. I probably just wouldn't do that. And I'm not Mm. saying that to criticize myself. I just don't know that I would do that. So put me to the side. It doesn't matter about what I would do. Mm. If somebody's caregiving for their parents, that's extraordinary. Mm. But let me ask you this. Do you think most people that caregive for their parents, do you think they view that as extraordinary? Probably not. No. They're just like, well, my parents took care of me. Now it's my turn mm-hmm. to take care of them. And they blow yeah. it off like it's no big deal. But there's a lot of people like me that selfishly wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Now, there's other things that I do, fortunately, that make me not a bad guy, right? Like raising money for this homeless guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I have just a, you know, like many kids, a, a complex relationship with, with, my, with my parents. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Um, but when when people you know, put their lives on hold or at least a portion of it, they caregive for their parents. That's extraordinary. And in my experience, most people, when they do extraordinary things like that, they just blow it off like it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. And it's miraculous. Right. And when you own it as miraculous, it's a confidence builder. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to a client the other day and, uh, you know, in a coaching call, people are sharing their thoughts and that's the whole point. Have me help them. And People get honest about what's going on in, in some cases, not in every case. And, and he goes, he goes, I think I'm a loser. Hmm. So he's walking around planet Earth. He's a business owner. His idea about himself is he's a loser. He's not a loser. He's an extraordinary human being. Mm-hmm. But if he, if he has an idea about himself that he's a loser, how is he going to show up in the world? Right. He's going to show up like that. So... When we have the confidence and we can accept our greatness and acknowledge our greatness, when we're doing extraordinary things, I think people tend to focus on where they're falling short. Mm-hmm. On any given day, I fall short one to five times a day, right. but I'm doing 15 to 20 great things a day, like being on your show to add value to you and serve you and serve your audience, right? Mm-hmm. I'm doing that 15 to 20 times a day. I can focus on that or I can focus on the one to five times that I'm falling short and I'm right either way. Right. So. Wow. That is, that is powerful. The way that you think, the way that you be really changes your life, you know, and how you view the world and then also affects the actions that you take. I think that's such a powerful, powerful thing that a lot of people need to hear. And, and so I I know that um, earlier you mentioned a few people that you learned from, you know, your mentors and uh, (laughs) With social media, there feel uh, it feels like there's so many different people out there, you know, especially in sales, like sales gurus. I'm sure you heard of Grant Cardone, you know, Brian Tracy, Jim Rohn. And so for someone that's, you know, wanting to learn more about sales, how do they know which philosophy is the best philosophy? You know, like how did they do they decide that with so many different gurus out there? Yeah. Well, the three people that you mentioned, I've um, extensively studied all three of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're all on my phone on Audible. Oh, from, awesome. <laughs> uh, Grant Cardone and, and Brian Tracy. Um, I've studied probably, I never added it up, but probably a hundred different people wow. through their books, podcasts, YouTube videos, coaching programs, seminars, et cetera. Um, 
I planted my flag with a few of them. Hmm. So if I was going to advise somebody, I would tell somebody, learn from lots of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. But I would also say, don't shop mentors. Mm. And so what I mean by that is kind of like in a marriage, you know, I'm on my second marriage. We've married my second wife for seven years. I've planted my flag. Like mm. this is for, for, for my happily ever after. I'm going to be with my wife. I'm not, you know, I don't have thoughts about, well, do I want to be with my wife or not? So on the mentor side, I've been with Dr. Moyne, who's my coach and mentor uh, since 1994. Wow. And I made a decision that I was going to stay with him for as long as he would allow me to. And uh, we actually do a, a podcast together. We have a weekly mm. uh, podcast that we do. Um, we do different business things together. He still coaches me to this day. Uh, I planted my flag with Dr. Moyne, Jay Abraham on the marketing side, um, Tony Robbins on the personal development side, um, Steve Hardison on the personal development side. And then there's other people like uh, Grant Cardone, Brian Tracy, Jim Rohn, who I've studied, but I wouldn't say I've planted my flag with, with those individuals. So mm. if you can find a couple of key people that you really resonate with and go deep with them, like I can get somebody to a black belt in influence, mm. but to get them there, they, from a being standpoint, they would have to show up in my relationship with them and be the ultimate student. Mm -hmm. So in a coaching relationship, I can't do somebody's sit-ups for them. Right. right? They got to do their work. And, and if somebody has that level of commitment, they want to get to black belt level. I have the skill set to teach them how to do that. And it would just be a shame if somebody want to get to that level and they're like, you know, going to all these different people, <laughs> find somebody or a couple people that you can plant your flag with and then learn from all kinds of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I've done. And it's, it's really served me. Right. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense is, you know, try to see what's out there and then you'll start to figure out what kind of what, what you vibe with, you know, and, and so if it vibes, if you vibe with them, then you can decide to set that flag and double down on that content and, and learn from them. So that's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that being said, what are some of the things that, you know, you mentioned a couple of people, like what are the most profound things that you've learned from them besides, you know, the mindset and um, that you just talked about? Well, with, with Dr. Moyne, um, he is, from my view, the, the top script writing expert in the world. Mm. And when it comes to sales, we're often delivering a repetitive presentation, so the real estate agent is going to do a listing presentation. The car salesperson is going to do the car presentation. The network marketer is going to do the business opportunity presentation. The health mm. coach is going to do the health coaching conversation. And so as a best practice, you would create an outline for that repetitive presentation. And then each outline point is its own mini script. And the mini script is the talk track. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people resist sales scripting because their idea about it is it's just not me that's can that's rehearsed it's inauthentic mm. and you know we don't really have time today to do a deep dive on scripting but the, the bottom line is this sales scripting is the most profitable sales technique that i've ever learned mm. and you absolutely can be yourself and you can be authentic you don't need to be canned or rehearsed 
it really has to do with the preparation of the presentation. So yeah. that idea about scripting is, you know, probably the most significant thing that I learned from Dr. Moyne. Mm-hmm. Tony Robbins is probably measuring effort daily. Mm-hmm. So the way I think about my effort level is I play at a seven, eight, nine, or a 10 on a scale of one to 10 every day. So a bad day for me means I'm playing at a seven. Mm. Well, most people don't think about, well, what's my effort level today? And if, if you're not mindful of it, a bad day might be a two. Mm. So somebody mm. might be not thinking in terms like the way I think about effort level daily, seven, eight, nine, 10, every day, bar none, no questions asked. Someone else doesn't have that idea in their head and they're playing at a two to a five. Right. Well, I, I watched Tony Robbins. I watched his effort level on a daily basis. And I, I learned not so much from what he told me, but more of just observing his actions. Hmm. Steve Hardison, he, he's the, the person who taught me all about how we create our reality with language. And he taught me about being and that I could shift my being and I could shift my language. And that was very transformational. Jay Abraham taught me all about marketing. And one of the things that, that Jay taught me was to, it's a concept called social currency. Mm. So social mm-hmm. currency means I do something nice for somebody. They don't owe me. Like right now, I'm here to serve you. Yeah, I'm here to serve your audience, but really I'm here to serve you. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here not for your audience. No offense, audience, but mm-hmm. you invited me to be here. And I wanted to acknowledge your request. And so that's why I'm here. And then the listeners can benefit. And if any of them, you know, want to connect with me, that's cool too. And maybe it grows my business a little bit, but I really didn't honestly come here to grow my business. I came in here to acknowledge your request. Hmm. So in doing that, that creates social currency. Hmm. It doesn't mean that you owe me, but it's kind of like this. If I come help you move, you're moving your house, you got to box it up, load the boxes, mm-hmm. load the bed, load, you know, and I actually come over, I'm at your house for four hours helping mm-hmm. you load up and I need a favor in six months. And I ask you, it doesn't mean you're going to do it and it doesn't mean you owe me, mm-hmm. but you're more likely to do it right. based on social currency. Exactly. So I'm a social currency millionaire. Mm-hmm. So I just go out in the world and I'm just serving all the time Mm -hmm. and I'm not expecting anything in return. Right. Right. Like this homeless guy that I'm get this car for. It's not like, okay, bro, you owe me. (laughs) Like I'm just giving to give. Yeah. You know? And so is the guy that sent me the check. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but in, in doing that, I have so much good favor in the world that it's kind of like the universe just hooks me up. Right. You know, I gave a speech today and I was talking to the board of realtors and there was, I don't know, 60 people in the audience and I didn't charge for my speech and yeah, I was there grow my business, but Mm -hmm. I poured into these people. Right. And so a lot of social currency, I probably created $6,000 in social currency now it's another six grand added to my social currency bank account. I learned that from Jay Abraham. Ah, I see. Jay, I asked Jay to speak at one of my events and I said, Hey Jay, I need you for an hour. My budget's five grand. Mm-hmm. And he's a professional speaker. So this is what he does for a living. And he goes, um, just so you know, my speaker fee is 50,000. <laughs> and he goes, you know what, Eric, 
keep your five grand and I'll come and speak at your event. Mm. So Jay came and spoke at my event. Now, a lot of times in the speaker world, you speak for free because you can sell your program. Right. He didn't sell. You speak mm. for free so you can generate leads at the event. He didn't lead Jen. Mm. He just showed up and served me in the audience. Right. Now, when's the last time you offered somebody five grand to do their profession? And they're like, yeah, just keep your money. I'll just yeah. do it for you. Nobody does that. Mm-hmm. That's why he's Jay Abraham. Because when he needs something, anything he asks me, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. But here's what's fascinating. There's a thousand people in the world like me that would do anything Jay asks. Right. Because of that. So he's like a social currency billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned that from Jay. So mm. those are those are a couple of the insights. Wow, that's a great way to think about it. I um never thought of it that way. Like there's a bank account for currency. I mean, you hear about goodwill, you hear about karma, right? You do good, yeah. it will come back to you. But like describing it like a bank account really put puts things in perspective, you know, where you kind of whenever you want to take a deposit, you can, you know, if you yeah. have stacked up on those points or that currency. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I have so much good will built up with so many people. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a woman the other day who she's a real estate agent and she had a, um, a brain bleed and oh, she wow. couldn't work. And so you're a commission salesperson, your income dries up Jeez. and I know how to raise money for stuff. And so I taught mm-hmm. her all about the GoFundMe accounts and I said, hey, I'll help you. And bottom line is we got her about $5,000. Mm. And so I was using my gifts and talents about fundraising and, you know, group crowdfunding and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm not asking her for a cut and I'm not asking her for anything mm-hmm. in return. I was just serving a fellow salesperson who had a brain bleed. Mm-hmm. So there's these times when we can do things for people where we have the ability to really help them. The question is, do we look the other way or do we help, right? right. And I can't help everybody because I got to live my life, but yeah. there are times when a situation will present itself and I'll use my gifts and talents mm-hmm. and I'll make a difference for somebody, but we all could do that. Yeah, definitely. We all have the ways that we can, we can help people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, you know, you mentioned uh, the first thing you've learned um, from your mentor was scripting. That was that's the most profitable thing you've ever learned in sales. So, why is it the most profitable? Because it increases close ratio. Mm-hmm. So, if you if you look at it and go, how do I how do I take my close ratio from twenty five percent to forty, or twenty five to twenty eight, or twenty five to thirty two? The the most powerful way I know how to do it is to improve the quality of your presentation. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of like a comedian who has a great routine and you mm-hmm. drop in any city and they get everybody standing ovation. They love that comedian. Well, right. it's the jokes. Well, mm-hmm. the jokes are scripts. Yeah. And human beings respond in predictable ways. Mm-hmm. So there's things that we can do. For example, if I was a real estate agent, I might, I might say to you, you know, um, it's very common that people will do a refinance on their house because houses tend to go up in value. And as the house goes up in value, 
Like right now, my house has about 250,000 in equity in it. Mm -hmm. So I could go to a refinance and I could probably go access, say, 80 grand cash. So the loan officer comes to me and says, hey, um, you know, I'll help you get this cash out. Well, the problem is now I just pulled my equity out and I'm, it's unlike I'm ever going to own my home free and clear. Right. But here's my mindset. I make my mortgage every month. I never am going to do a refi and I pay a little bit of extra to the principal and there will be a day that I own my home free and clear. Well, I don't think most people think like that. So mm -hmm. if I was a real estate agent, I would say, look, I want to help you buy a house and I'm going to show you how to own your home free and clear. And then you can, you know, pass it on to your kids or whatever you want to do with it. And I would, that would be a part of my scripting. Mm -hmm. And I would use storytelling, which is one of the most powerful forms of a script. If somebody was not a homeowner, maybe they're renting. And I would tell them stories of other renters mm -hmm. who I've helped become homeowners mm -hmm. and how I can do the same thing for them. And so all of a sudden they go from renter to, hey, I want to become a homeowner to Eric, with your help, I believe I can become a homeowner. Right. And I close that sale. I make a fifteen thousand dollars commission. It was the scripting. Mm -hmm. The renter didn't come to me and say, "I want to buy a house." I influenced the renter to want to buy a house. Yeah, through my language. So it's like magic, but it's it's not magic. It's just harnessing the power of scripting. And mm -hmm. you can bring the benefits to life in a presentation. You can overcome objections. You can create an irresistible offer. I mean, there's so many things that you can do to increase the persuasiveness of your presentation. And I studied it for years from mm -hmm. Dr. Boyne. Right. And got really, really good at it. And so that's why uh, I'm so excited about that idea. Yeah, that's that's one thing I learned, you know, when I was in college too, um, was, you know, I had a script whenever I went in. It's like a two hour long script because <laughs> it was a two hour presentation. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, when you go in, you build rapport, you know, build a relationship with them to like, identifying the need you go outside you point at different areas of their house which areas need to be worked on you identifying that need share the benefits you know build urgency all that stuff and so there's an art to it um but also a science once you are able to you know have a formula that works you know and figure out um how you can you know build it around that that uh that service or that product mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and once you have the script down you have it down yeah it exactly. doesn't mean you can't be flexible. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you can't modify the script during the presentation where mm -hmm. it's going in with a plan and you're going to outsell winging it because think of winging it like um, a comedian doing improv. Right. Jim Carrey, who's one of the funniest people ever, he was doing impressions using scripts, mm -hmm. getting standing ovations every time. He then was challenging himself to become a better comedian. So he started doing improv. He said half the time he'd get booed off the stage. <laughs> so he went from standing ovations to booed mm. off the stage while he was doing improv. Right. And he was trying different things. And so he didn't know if it was going to be funny or not. Mm -hmm. Whereas the impressions, he knew everybody was going to love it. But he realized impressions was not going to get him to be a leading man in Hollywood, which is mm. what his dream was. And then ultimately he became a leading man in Hollywood. He invented his own style of, of comedy and he did it with, he made some really significant decisions in his life based on vision of what he wanted to create in the future. Mm -hmm. But the, the main point I want to make here is scripts versus winging it. Mm -hmm. 
a script is going to outperform winging it. You could be occasionally brilliant winging mm -hmm. it, but you're not going to be consistently brilliant. It's not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So um, now let's say, you know, a lot of the people that are listening are, you know, either business owners or they're early in their professional career. Um, let's say someone wants to get started with sales you know, like what advice would you give them? Like, what are maybe three things that they can do? You know, we got the first thing, which is like, you know, changing your mindset and, you know, not being so resistant to sales and having a different outlook on sales and being the type of person, you know, and, and thinking about your thoughts. Um, what are maybe some other things that people can do to, when they're getting started? Well, one of the best things that you can do is apply best practices. In mm -hmm. any industry, there's going to be a set of best practices. And so it's it's going to successful people in the industry like real estate, auto sales, insurance, and finding out from them, how do you generate leads, mm -hmm. set appointments? How do you plan your day? What's your mindset? Like if I was a real estate agent, my mindset would be, um, I'm your real estate solution for life. The real estate agent that helped me on the home that I'm in now, it's been a few years since I closed this transaction. I haven't heard from him once. Hmm. So he's transactional. It's not bad. It's just that's who he is. He's a transactional guy. He's looking to close the next deal. He's not thinking about building a relationship hmm. to secure my, my future referral business and the next time I need a realtor. Like hmm. I wouldn't use him. Right. Even though he did a nice job for me, I wouldn't use him because he's not he's not thinking about relationship. Mm. So if I was a real estate agent, that would be an important thing to know mm -hmm. is let me build relationship. So when the person needs a realtor, they think of me. Mm -hmm. Well, these are the kinds of things that you can learn when you study best practices. Right. Best practices for closing, overcoming objections. You know, in, in the car business, they have what's called ups. And an up means somebody walks onto the dealership and then they take turns. The salespeople take turns with, okay, it's my turn. Now I get the up and I go back of the line. You know, four people come, then I get the fifth one and we're rotating like that. Mm -hmm. Well, the number one car salesman in the world when he was alive was Joe Girard. Mm -hmm. And he didn't take ups. It's like, huh, everyone around here is taking ups. The number one guy in the world didn't take ups. Hmm. Why didn't he take ups? Because he was running his, he, he had preset appointments. Hmm. So you would come to the dealership and instead of saying, I want to talk to somebody about buying a car, you would say, yeah, I'm here. I have an appointment with Joe Girard at, at three o'clock today. Hmm. Well, I'll let Joe know you're here. Right. So all day long, he's running preset appointments. So if hmm. I'm selling cars, I can do what the industry does and do ups, or I can do what the number one guy in the, in the industry, it's probably a combination of both. You probably do right. some ups and some preset appointments, but most car guys are not thinking about preset appointments. Yeah. Well, that's all documented in a book called how to sell anything to anybody by Joe Girard. He wrote a book about it. Most car guys, they don't even know who Joe Girard is and they don't know that that book exists. Mm -hmm. So you want to find what is that book in your industry? Right. Who are the top people in your industry? Like in my industry, in the coaching industry, this is true for many industries, is the, the hub of my business is my CRM. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of coaches that don't even have a CRM. Right. 
So if they were asking me, well, Eric, how do you do it? I go, well, I've got my CRM. Well, how do you get the, how do you get the emails? Mm-hmm. And I, well, I go out and I, I do speeches. Oh, okay. Well, how do you do the speeches? Mm-hmm. Well, here's how you do the speeches. Oh, okay. And then they start modeling that. And then they start producing a great result. Right. But you know, most people aren't thinking like that. They're not looking at best practices. They, they might not even be aware of a thing called best practices. Right. So, Best practices and the other the other third tip I would say is to have um, a vision for your business. You know, how long do you plan on being in the industry? So I was talking to a loan officer yesterday. I asked her, how long do you plan on being in the industry? She said six or seven years. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, so let's be thinking about creating the best results possible for you for the next six to seven years. Mm-hmm. What does that look like versus thinking about the next 30 days? Right. It's different ways of thinking. Yeah. One's the long game, one's the short game, and they're both valid. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, they don't even have a distinction of a, of a long game. They're not thinking right. like that. Exactly. Yeah, that's powerful. And the strategies that you would do for, you know, let's say 30 days would be a lot different than planning for six or seven years, or even 30 years. You know, the approach is going to be different. Yeah, like um, I met with the CEO of the Hunger Project, which is one of the world's leading organizations in eradicating hunger globally. Which is one of my passions. And so I met with him, and it's really, I want to have a relationship with him for the next several decades. And I'm not looking really for anything from him, probably even the rest of this year. It's more of a down the road as I get more established in making my contribution to eradicating hunger mm-hmm. and having that relationship. So I met with him the other day in San Francisco. I drove two hours one way for a lunch meeting Hmm. for something that is a relationship that's going to help me 10 years from now. Right. So first of all, who's driving two hours, one way for a lunch meeting. Not they'll be, I'll just do zoom. He he offered zoom. He goes, Hey, we can do zoom. I go, no, I want to meet you Hmm. because I want the relationship. Right. And, but I don't need the relationship really now Mm -hmm. in 10 years as my nonprofit to eradicate hunger globally. And I, go raise a billion dollars and I'm looking for places to put that money. And Mm -hmm. I reach out to him and say, Hey, I've got a significant amount of money. And what do you, what are some projects that you need money for? I already have the relationship. Right. But most people don't think like that. No, they're just focused on the next thing and they're looking for efficiency and efficiency is fine, but it's different. Like what did I communicate to him? When I drove two hours to meet with him, I communicated commitment. Mm Mm-hmm. I communicated, I'm serious. I communicated, yeah. you matter to me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to say I'm committed. Mm-mm. He knew I was committed by the fact that he he's like, Zoomer, Zoomer uh, drive to San Francisco and we'll meet. I'm like, I'll drive to San Francisco. I had to go down the night before to, the way my day worked. I didn't have a two hour gap in my day. So I went mm-hmm. down the night before spent a hundred bucks in the hotel. The parking was 55 bucks. Mm-hmm. The hotel was a hundred. So I could do my calls in San Francisco to then meet with him. And, you know, all that was done um, as a way of letting him know you, you matter to me. Mm-hmm. I got that appointment by cold prospecting him on LinkedIn. Wow. So like you reaching out to me a couple of times, mm-hmm. I reached out to him on LinkedIn. <laughs> never heard of me. Right. I, I don't mean anything to him as far as me being a sales trainer 
doesn't mean anything to the CEO of one of the major nonprofits on the planet. Like, okay, Eric, you're a sales trainer. Whoop, you do. What do I care? Right. So I didn't have any credibility with him. The fact that I was a sales trainer, uh, but I cold prospected him and we got the phone call and then the phone call turned into the lunch meeting and now I have a relationship. I got a, his cell phone. I could text him right now. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, these are the things finding the successful people in your industry and talking to them about how they're doing it, you know, and you can learn from them and it can really make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's so powerful. And, um, you know, I was talking to, uh, Adrian Boisel, he was on a few podcasts ago. And what he shared was, you know, like a lot of people are looking for their shortcuts. And generally speaking, there's no shortcuts. But, you know, mentorship and learning from people who have made the mistakes before um, is a form of a shortcut because you are able to just kind of uh, avoid the mistakes that they made. And instead of learning it on your own, you can learn from others, you know, and that's where wisdom comes in. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Leveraging other people's wisdom that you, you put it, he, or you put it both of you put it really well there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm in agreement. It's, it's not a shortcut, but it is a more efficient way. And, and mm-hmm. it, and even within that, there still can be lessons that need to be learned. Right. You know um, but it, it is valuable. Like the hub of my business is my CRM. Somebody mm-hmm. could be in business for 10 years and they don't even have a CRM. Right. It doesn't mean they're wrong for not having one, but you know, you, you look at like when the pandemic hit, if I'm a restaurant and I have my customers on text, mm. right. Send out those marketing texts mm. that gives me a huge advantage. Yeah, definitely. You know, like is your restaurant even open when the, you know, the pandemic hit and like, we don't even know if we're open or not. And so um, that's a form of, of a CRM. It's a database, a text database, an email database, a social media following. Those are all forms of, ways of communicating with your, your base of people. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's an insight that I had to be taught because this, this guy told me I needed an email list in 2002. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't need that. Mm. He's like, no, actually Eric, you do. And he persuaded me. And so Mm. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And thank God I did because that was a several million dollar decision. Right. I didn't know it was going to create millions of dollars in the future, but it did. Mm -hmm. And uh, he influenced me because I didn't have an email list at that point. I'd been in business for four years. I didn't have a database. Wow. That's awesome. I love those three tips, you know, changing your mindset, being um, in the way that you are, and then uh, learning from others, best practices, and then also uh, being able to have a vision for yourself, you know, and deciding, you know, what your plan and your goal is going to be. So well said. Thank you so much, Eric, for being on. I really appreciate this. Um, I'm sure the audience really enjoyed it as well. Uh, where can people find you? You know, I am the only Eric Lawfolm on planet Earth. So if you <laughs> Google Eric Lawfolm, you're going to find me. And uh, if you're a LinkedIn person, connect with me there. If you're Facebook, if you're YouTube, if you're Instagram, saleschampion.com is my website. If you want to stay in touch with me, opt in for my email list. Um, I'm doing Zooms all the time, all kinds of fun stuff on how we can connect. So just find me online and if you want to connect further and, um, and we can go from there.